Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. It is Wednesday, March 25th. That is hard to believe. But as we take a look at what's going on in the world of agriculture today, we are seeing a bit of a sell-off in the markets. Corn down 13, 14 cents. Soybeans off 16 to 20. And wheat, all classes taking a beating, 29 to 33 cents down on the day. In segment three of today's show, we will be speaking with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX. We'll get his thoughts on what's happening here in the markets. Before we talk to Arlen, though, in segment two, we're going to speak with Sarah Muirhead. She's the editor of Feedstuffs Magazine, has recently been on the road talking to growers and, importantly, ag suppliers for the livestock industry. We're going to get her take on inflation, sustainability, and what all is happening in the world of livestock. At the end of the show, Dean Nelson of Kelly Bean will join us. Pulse growers have certainly been struggling this year with the drought that we were all anticipating heading into this year and are still grappling with across parts of the Northern Plains to the extreme rainfall we've seen develop over the Dakotas here recently. Dean will give us an update on all of that. Before we dive into those issues though, one thing that has caused a lot of trouble for biofuel, for the biofuel industry, has been the delays on the part of the EPA in getting the renewable volume obligations published. This has been an ongoing theme. It's intensified over the past couple of years. But now some progress is being made. Joining me to discuss this is Joe Kekesh. He's the general counsel at Growth Energy. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Great to be here. So let's talk about RVOs for 2023. Joe, you and Growth Energy have been working to nail down the EPA on getting these released. And you made some progress. Fill us in. Yeah, so EPA just filed a notice of a proposed consent decree on Monday that would require EPA to propose the 2023 RBO by September 16th of this year and finalize the rule by April 28th of next year. Uh, this comes after uh, growth had sued the, agent, uh, sued the agency earlier this year for its delays in, uh, in even proposing the rule as it was required to do under the Clean Air Act. So after growth successfully negotiated with EPA, um, this is the consent decree that came out of it. Um, it is success, it's still late, uh, but we're happy to see it on the books. Indeed, it is It is success. It's late, but as you mentioned, that's kind of expected. Joe, we've been talking here in recent months about them revamping the 2020 RVOs. Is EPA still planning to do that? Well, as far as we know, that is still in the proposal. We'll learn a lot more on June 3rd, which is the date by which EPA is supposed to finalize that proposed RBO, which I'll also note was subject to a consent decree between EPA and growth based on a different lawsuit that we filed for those delays in issuing the 2021 and 2022 RBOs. So we've consistently kind of pressed them on this issue. And so I guess my question, Joe, is we think about this, this win EPA being held, their feet are held to the fire to get these RVOs released close to on time. But then if they can retroactively go back and change them, what, what good does this do us long term? Are you seeing anything structural change at the EPA that might make this a better process going forward? Well, I'm certainly, we're certainly displeased by EPA's attempts to retroactively change RVOs, especially for the 2021, which had been finalized more than two years ago. We don't think EPA has any legal authority to do that, um, and we've expressed that in our comments to the agency. I'm hopeful with these series of uh, challenges in the courts to get them to timely issue these RBOs, that they will um, discipline the agency going forward to issue more timely rules so that we don't have to deal with this. Now, on the retroactivity issue, it's just going to be an ongoing challenge, and it reflects EPA's failure to properly implement the RFS as Congress intended. So these RVOs, these are required from Congress, as you mentioned, they're written into the RFS. But I understand, Joe, that EPA has to consider at least six different components when they're figuring up these RVOs. Is that what causes their delays in getting them released? Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's not that. <laughs> So in 2023, that's the first year in which EPA does not have to look to Congress's initial volumes in determining what volumes to set. So every year leading up to, to, to this year, 
Congress set the volumes, and EPA was supposed to set volumes um, against those. Now EPA has six statutory factors that it has to assess, including environmental, energy security, rural economy, um, uh, broader international security, uh, to come up with a number untethered from a congressional dictate. So the delays have nothing to do with the shift in how EPA is supposed to analyze the RBOs. It's been delayed whether it's been more by Congress to start with or when it hasn't. So that's not something that they can point to to uh, call a delay. Is that now that that they do not get that benchmark number from Congress, as you mentioned, 2023 is that first year they're they're kind of flying solo on this. Do you think they've got the tools in place to manage RVO release on time going forward, Joe? I've got to say, I'm not terribly confident in their performance so far. Well, I would say they're not flying solo. They have 15 years of the RFS behind them. Um, they have the intent of Congress, which is to continue to advance the growth of biofuels um, into the future. Um, and I would say that, you know, they already have some precedent for doing this. Um, Bio-based diesel, that you know, the, the process was already triggered for them a long time ago. Um, and they already were for the two as well. They under a different authority called the reset where they apply or proposed to apply these six statutory factors. Um, they have their sea legs on this, I would think, and it's just a matter of being true to the intent of Congress and making sure that they grow. So, Joe, as you look out, we're going to be watching those dates September of 22 to see the 23 RVOs and then finalized by April of 2023. What other legal issues are you working on right now at Growth Energy? I imagine you've got a lot of irons in the fire this year. Yeah, well, definitely. It's, it's always a busy time uh, when it comes to the RFS. One other thing I want folks to be aware of is that there are still a number of pending small refinery exemption denials that EPA has proposed to deny. And, and we're looking for those to be denied in full on June 3rd as well, uh, because in order to, act, to accurately calculate volumes uh, and percentage standards for 2023, you need, to under, you need to know what those decisions are. And as you know, EPA revoked of SREs when they properly applied uh, recent precedent um, and we're hoping that they're going to do that in the future. So we're very keen on uh, making sure that they uh, reform the SRE program going forward and don't give handouts to oil refineries uh, that, ha that had been done in the past few years. And the second piece, obviously, is on RVP. You know, we're continuing to look at EPA's um, emergency waivers, which is a Band-Aid, if you will, a stopgap to ensure nationwide year-round E15 access. Um, and we've also seen some activity in the states where they're trying to insured nationwide E15 on a state-by-state -state basis. So those are definitely top of mind for the legal team here. Yeah, there is a lot of issues coming before us this year. Joe, glad you're going to be out there fighting the good fight for ethanol. For listeners right now who want to keep up to date on the work that Growth Energy is doing in this space as the year goes on, Joe, where's a good place to go to, to keep up with everything? Always great to go to our website at www.growthenergy.org. Fantastic, folks. That's Joe Kakash, the General Counsel of Growth Energy. They were the group that locked down the EPA into getting next year's renewable volume obligations released pretty close to on time. We're excited to see that. Our thanks to Joe and folks stick with us when we return. Sarah Muirhead, the editor at Feedstuffs Magazine, will join us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Less isn't always more. Take managing a fleet, for instance. You need a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. And that's exactly what you get with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Roadmaster XL even adds more life to your fuel system's injectors and injector pumps. That's a lot more than we can say about typical number two diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. 
It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we're getting into planting season for a lot of growers across the country, which means it's kind of the tail end of conference season. But there are still some happening. There are still a lot of events going on to bring folks up to speed with what's developing in the world of agriculture. One that just wrapped up was down in Lexington, Kentucky, the All Tech One Ideas Conference. Joining me now is Sarah Muirhead. She's the editor at Feedstuffs Magazine. Sarah, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. You had the chance to be down in Lexington at the Alltech Conference. Sarah, what were some of the hot topics under discussion? What are folks in the animal ag industry thinking as we head into summer 2022? The conference was really about innovation and resilience. It's about how we need to challenge ourselves in animal agriculture and really look to the future. And that means looking at new ideas, right, and new solutions. And maybe what we've been doing can be can be done better. Or if nothing else, we need to examine those things. So a lot of uh, a lot of just trying to get people to think out of that box and to motivate people to do that. So it's it's always an exciting conference in that regard. How was the crowd? They get a good attendance. Uh, folks coming out post COVID and getting together again. They had about two thousand folks that were in attendance, and that's a very global, international um, show. And then they had a virtual component to it as well. And they said they had 5,000 folks tuning in for that. So yeah, a lot of different discussions. I mean, hundreds of, uh, of speakers and experts they bring in again from around the world to talk about a variety of topics, a lot of tracks going on all at the same time. It's it's almost a bit overwhelming because you're like, I want to be in the dairy track, but I need to be in the hog track. So I bet a lot of stuff to sit through, a lot of things to learn. Sarah, as you were talking to folks who were there and, and I, all these folks, I imagine, are in the animal ag industry. They're protein producers in various forms or another. And that's a space that's been struggling this past year. We've seen it on the markets. We've seen it around the world. And what was the general tone? What was the attitude of the folks that were there? Were they beat down or were they optimistic? No, they're very optimistic optimistic about the future. But again, we need to look at things in different ways. There was 
a lot of discussion on how animal agriculture is not where crop agriculture is when it comes to innovation and technology. We need to look at the robotics. We need to look at the sensors. We need to look at ways to measure animals on an individual basis and then how we can translate that into better nutrition, into better health, into just better ROI for our producers. So. And that was a global scale, because I did ask that question. Is this just something the U.S. is lagging in, or is it global? And they're like, no, it's across the board. It's just how we do it. It's a little more difficult when you're talking about animals in a big pen or in a barn, as opposed to, you know, crops in the field. They don't really move, right? They <laughs> they stay in one place for that season. So, so it's just looking at new ways and developing new ways, and then really looking at the how we feed these animals, and are there different ways that will reduce um, some of the emissions and and reduce some of the problems and situations that were always called on the table about and you know what, what can we do in that in that area as well yeah that's huge calculating and formulating those proper rations getting that that diet to the livestock be it cattle hogs dairy you name it and then doing it in a way that's sustainable and i think very importantly in a year like this sarah doing it in a way that's cost effective my goodness everything is expensive this year you work with livestock producers around the country at feedstuffs magazine what are the general concerns you're hearing from them as they prepare to enter summer well, of course, we're looking at some of the drought conditions, and that's significant and on a lot of people's minds. We're looking at foreign animal disease. That's always an issue. We've got those things going on in the poultry industry with high path avian influenza. ASF is always, um, you know, always something that we have to be aware of and try and keep out of this country. All kinds of those issues. We're seeing high fuel costs is really top of mind for folks. Diesel. Um, how we are going to transport, you know, hay and even cattle and, and hogs around the country and yet keep prices at an area where, where consumers are still going to want to purchase protein. So a lot of different things are going on and it's it's going to be an interesting summer. It, it is. I think that is an understatement, Sarah. I think regardless of what sector of the ag economy you're in, this summer looks like it's going to be an interesting one. You do a lot of work with pork producers at Feedstuffs. That is one of the core constituencies of your audience. You mentioned foreign animal disease, Sarah. You mentioned African swine fever. I understand today you are going to be hosting a convention or conference, I should say, about, uh, well, it's going to touch on that very topic. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've got going on with the Global Hog uh, Convention? Global Hog Industry Virtual Conference. <laughs> Thank you. The yeah. Global Hog Industry Virtual Conference, Sarah. So, yeah, we're taking a look, about a four-hour look at all the different issues from that foreign animal diseases can affect from a consumer's, from a producer standpoint, economics, of course, is a big one. In that regard, we're taking a look at what's gone on in the poultry industry and how they've dealt with AI over the last few years and what it's meant for them from an economic standpoint, translating that into the hog sector. We're looking at um, what's been going on beyond our borders. You know, China's been dealing with a lot of these issues. Now we have Dominican Republic, we have Haiti dealing with ASF. What is USDA doing? What is industry doing? And what do we need to do better? Um, so where you've got experts coming in for that, do we need a national strategy that looks at these things that really helps producers to deal with and prepare for? Because it's all about prevention and it's all about preparation. So those types of uh, things we're looking at. That national strategy, strategy idea for grappling with foreign animal disease, sir, that's something that's been in discussion for some time. I know the poultry industry right. has discussed it as well. Is this new in the hog industry or have these, these national strategies does that discussion been ongoing? There's an effort to have the same, to set up the same type of system that we have had in the poultry industry, using the poultry industry as the example. Interesting. So yeah, there's some, you know, but it get buy-in, how you do it, how you go about it. So it's all in that development stage. So we've got two experts coming in to walk us through all of that. That will be fascinating. And I understand you're also going to have a, a regular guest of this program as one of your presenters. Brian Ernest of yeah. CoBank is going to be there as well as Lee Schultz, I understand from Iowa State University. They'll be tackling the economics side of the issue. Exactly. We also have um, a gentleman from USDA an administrator from USDA who is going to talk about what USDA is doing in Haiti. He actually is joining us from the Dominican Republic because they're down there, you know, taking a look at what can we do and how can we 
prepare and keep it out of the U.S. And you've mentioned the Dominican Republic a few times. A lot of our listeners might not be in the pork production business. Why is the Dominican Republic on your mind as we talk African swine fever? Because there's a lot of back and forth between the U.S., Dominican Republic, Dominican Republic, and Haiti. It's just how this ASF, African swine fever, could spread. Right. So they're trying to get beyond our borders to stop it before it comes in. And that's where the where the effort is focused right now. And that would be a good thing to keep it out of the U.S. It's, and it's so much better to eradicate the disease than to be eradicating our pigs. Yes, that is a great point, Sarah. And I believe the Dominican Republic remains the only place in the Western Hemisphere that has African swine fever. It's, it's closer. It's terrifying from the industry's perspective, isn't it? They, they keep finding it, yes. And they oh. keep finding that it was much more of a, of a situation down there than what they thought it was. So we have got some updates coming in. You know, very recent updates on our, our event today. Oh boy, there's always something. Is there, I understand at the tail end of the summit today, you will be highlighting some new projects or products, I should say, in the pork space. How many do you have uh, going to be in the showcase today? So we actually have nine new products and it's pretty exciting. We do like a mini shark tank where the companies present for a few minutes and then we take questions. We have a panel of judges and then also our audience is going to be able to put in questions and ask about, okay, what does this mean? Or how is, you know, what, what are you talking about? Um, and really dig into some of those products. And then we have a little voting that can go on. So you can vote for your favorite new product. You can go online and do that, as well as join us at the World Pork Expo, which is June 8th through 10th. I'll put a little plug in there um, in Des Moines. Come to the National Hog Farmer booth, and you can also vote online or from the booth for your favorite new product. And we'll be awarding that on the Friday of new, of uh, World Pork Expo. And what do they win if they get the most votes? What are they taking oh, home? Oh, a super cool little trophy. <laughs> And the recognition that they are the winner and a Facebook Live with uh, National Hog Farmer Feedstuffs announcing their, uh, you know, their winner, that they are the winner. That is very cool. Sarah, you work with, uh, with a lot of folks in that space and the product innovation continues to happen in the world of livestock, doesn't it? There's always new things coming online. It's amazing. We've got wound care. We've got manure equipment. We've got manure management kind of products. We've got just a whole array of, you know, animal health kind of products. It's very interesting to see the the new the new products. And we're also going to catch up in a Facebook Live with the winner last year. And they're going to talk about how they've progressed from kind of coming into the market with a brand new product and where they're at. So it's nice to see people actually evolving and growing with a lot of these things they do bring to market. You bet. And of course, that gets underway today, Sarah, in just a little bit. Can you tell our listeners where they can go to tune in if they're interested? Starts at 11 a.m. Central and you can go to nationalhogfarmer.com right at the top. You can just click on that button, register, see the whole program and and we hope you join us. And it will be recorded. So if they miss some of it today, they can catch it a little bit later. All in on demand. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. This is Sarah Muirhead, editor at Feedstuffs Magazine. And stay with us. When we return, we will be speaking with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at StoneX. So stay with us for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Farming has gotten so complex, you need another you just to keep up with it all. You'll come close when you work with your FS Crop Specialist. They know your growing conditions and your land, working for you season to season, helping fine-tune decisions to ensure a healthy ROI. And they're constantly in training to learn about the latest in seed selection, crop protection, and nutrient management. Plus, they're achieving certification standards that exceed the industry. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more. FS, bringing you what's next. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, it's surely looking like another risk-off day in the grain and soy complex early on Wednesday as some optimism for the opening of a humanitarian corridor to expedite grain exports from Ukraine is weakening wheat and corn values. That optimism may be wishful thinking as it seems doubtful that the U.N. will approve the end to sanctions. Strangely, it is wheat with perhaps the most bullish supply situation that is leading Wednesday's weakness as the food-based commodities are just under all this pressure with this talk that Russia may allow grain flow out of Ukraine poor once again but it still seems far-fetched it's something we'll have to watch closely today's the final day for farmers in much of the dakotas northern minnesota nebraska much of kansas and missouri to plant corn and be eligible for full insurance protection for their crop as well it is not the last day that they could plant the crop but insurance benefits slowly decline incrementally each day beyond today that they put the seed into the ground and the final date for many of these same areas is over two weeks from now for soybeans on June 10th. A lot of decisions going to have to be made in many areas. Farmers could still plant after the uh, crop insurance dates, but it will definitely hinge on many uh, different factors for their operation. But still something to watch closely here as we work through the rest of this week. Taking a look at some numbers right now in the trade. July corn is down 13, 758 and three quarters. July beans down 22, 1671. B meal, bean oil are down moderately. July Chicago wheat down 29 and a half, 1125 and a quarter. July Kansas City wheat down 36, 1201 and three quarters. Spring wheat July down 29 and a quarter, 1248. Cattle are higher. June live cattle up 35, 133.07. May feeder cattle up 25, 154.75. And June hogs up 55, 109.57. Crude oil up 77 cents a barrel, 110.54. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. Boy, we are looking at the markets right now, and there is a lot of red on the screen in the grains. We're seeing significant losses in soybeans and in wheat, corn down 10, 12 cents. Woof. A lot of things happening. Joining us now to make sense of it is Arlen Suderman. He's the chief commodities economist with Stonex. And Arlen, is all this red ink because Russia has said they may allow some export of Ukrainian grains? Well, that's a, certainly a factor in there. Um, there's a couple of things in play. First of all, we've got some technical weakness after the algos really broke the market lower earlier. We we essentially took Chicago wheat up to new all-time record highs in, in, in earlier this month, and then Kansas City came within pennies of all-time highs. That makes fund managers very nervous if they don't have any fresh news to justify going higher. And so they started taking profits. The market started to roll over, and then then you get the news of Russia saying that it may allow shipments. I'm very skeptical of that, and I think a lot of people are very skeptical of it. But with momentum going down, and um, certainly nothing to counter it in the way of fresh bullish news right now, there may be more of that down the road, but for now there's not. Um, certainly people are kind of running for cover, and, and the computers are really amplifying the move to the downside and kind of pulling corn with it as well. 
Arlen, when you see this kind of a rollover, a capitulation, at least for near-term highs, what do you use as a guideline for when this thing is going to be towards the bottom? How do you make a gauge as to, to when prices are, are nearing their catch-a-breath point? Well, that's what every every end user is trying to figure out because uh, they certainly want to be able to take advantage of this. End users are generally short bought their coverage that they're going to need for, for June, July, August, September, and even into the fall. So they're looking for breaks. We still have very tight global supplies. We don't know if uh, Ukraine wheat is going to be allowed uh, to move, even if such an agreement were to be reached, Ukrainian authorities have said it'd be six months before any type of significant exports could really go out the ports because of the repairs that need to be done, the mines that need to be cleared from the waters, etc. So there's a lot of potential risks yet. We still have a problem with the hard red winter wheat crop. We have uh, planting delays that are very significant that may end up hurting acreage in the northern plains spring wheat belt. We've got those problems stretch up into Manitoba as well. We've got dryness in France. We've got some dryness in Argentina and parts of China's wheat growing areas. So there's a number of risks yet. So where is the bottom on this? It really comes down to just evaluating the downward momentum. And when that momentum starts to slow, that's when the buyers start to step in and start to add some coverage, kind of like what producers, as the upward momentum starts to slow, they start scaling in some sales. It's the opposite for the end user. That makes a lot of sense. Arlen, you touched on spring wheat there. That's one commodity that we just aren't seeing a lot of progress made on that planting. For end users, this price down in here, 1240, 1245, is this a point to get some on the books? Well, obviously, that's a point where you can try to lock in some margins. Uh, so how aggressive do you get? And a lot of it comes down to just how many acres are we going to be able to get planted? When we looked at uh, the Monday's crop progress report, uh, we saw that uh, Minnesota and South Dakota were still way behind in planting. Now, they have about a week of dry weather that they can get some coverage. They're very active right now. The rain start to return on Friday, so that'll be about a week's time. Not every area is going to be able to dry out the plant, but many of them are. Um, so when you look at Minnesota and North Dakota, that's 80% of our spring wheat production right there. 11% was planted in Minnesota, 27% in North Dakota. We're running out of time. And even if we get it planted and what we do get planted, we will expect a yield drag because of the late plant planting there. Um, so... Does this mean that the upside is behind us? I don't think that we can say that. Nobody rings a bell in Chicago or Minneapolis when the high has been put in place. So most producers are going to scale in, say, okay, this is a profitable level. I'm going to sell a little bit, but they're not going to do the whole thing. It depends on how much leverage you have, how much debt you have. From a business standpoint, how aggressive do you need to be or how much risk-taking can you get as far as how aggressive you get on selling on each one of these points? Yeah, that's a great point, Arlen. I'm hearing chatter online, and I'd like your take on planted acreage. As we get into the month of June, are we going to see some big revisions from that March prospective plantings data? I think we're going to expect some revisions. They'll be big in some areas. Nationally, the numbers may not look that much different, um, but particularly in the northwestern Midwest and in the northern plains. I think that's where we could see a lot of shifting. The problem is that that survey takes place around June 1st, and a lot of farmers will still be making decisions then. So that means that we won't really know the acreage that got planted, what got diverted to other crops, what just was taken prevent plant. We really won't know that until next fall, so that'll continue the debate going forward. I think corn acres may be at greatest risk. Um, but we've got some who say, well, I'm going to continue to plant corn at the expense of spring wheat. Now they're saying we're going to plant spring wheat at the expense of corn. Uh, what effect will sugar beets have on that, sunflowers, soybeans, etc.? There's going to be a lot of decisions made here over the next couple of weeks that could have significant impacts on each of those markets. Normally, it 
that area wouldn't matter that much to the markets because they say we've got enough that we can handle any losses from that region in various crops. But for this year, uh, supplies are so tight that every acre matters for each of those crops. Indeed, they do, Arlen. And supplies are so tight. End users are really working to get their hands on them. And I know you have mentioned several times the fact that China is really pretty short bought heading into this summer as they're making their decisions on purchases. Do you think those buys are going to come to the U.S. or is there still some dry powder down in Brazil on uh, soybeans and storage? Yeah, on soybeans, um, certainly there's still soybeans in Brazil. Now, they're priced very competitively now with U.S. supplies for much of the rest of the summer going into the harvest of the U.S. crop this fall. So I think it's what we're going to see is a mixture of U.S. and Brazilian soybeans because Brazilian soybeans are starting to tighten. That's got their bases firmed up. Uh, we still have some supplies, and I think we're going to see a stronger-than-normal export season in the last quarter of this marketing year. When we look at China specifically, talking to our contacts in the industry in China, it appears that they're only about 40% bought of their coverage for July and August. So that means they have a significant amount of soybeans that need to be bought. And I think that'll be a combination of Brazilian and U.S. supplies as they kind of spread their risk since the prices are very close to each other. Some cases U.S. is cheaper, some cases Brazil's cheaper. And I think that'll help solidify stronger exports for U.S., lower ending stocks. I think we're going to end up with ending stocks closer to the 200 million or a little bit below 200 million bushels of U.S. old crop. And that'll strengthen the amount of U.S. Um, soybeans we export in the first quarter of the next marketing year as well. Arlen, keeping those costs, U.S.-Brazil cost comparable, is contingent on keeping the dollar and real roughly stable. Do you think there's more upside potential here in the value of the dollar? It's been interesting to change in dynamics here of late. Uh, the dollar's always been seen as a safe haven currency in many cases. Even when we go back to 9-11, it was considered a safe haven currency, and we put in new highs in the dollar index. But here over the last week or so, we have seen the dollar liquidated as the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen became the favored um, safe haven currency. Uh, that says a lot about a lack of confidence in the U.S. economy, um, but that really kind of helped the dollar put in a high at a major uh, technical resistance area on the charts. Will that continue? That's a good question, but that could certainly help us in our competitiveness, especially in pricing wheat and meat, where we have lots of competition overseas uh, from customers that have much cheaper currencies. But even corn and soybean demand would be affected as well. Uh, so this is something we're going to be watching. The other thing is, is Europe has finally started raising interest rates, pulling them out of negative territory, and hopefully that'll increase demand for euros, which may add to some of the weakness in the dollar as well to help us be more competitive with our commodities. Give us a little bit of a tailwind. Arlen, before we let you go, the cattle market, uh, do you expect any changes here in live cattle and the market structure as you look out to the next week? Well, interesting with the live cattle market is uh, cash prices in the south are a little bit weaker so far this week, a little bit steady to firmer in the north, so that split continues overall. We're still struggling near term there. We're anticipating things are going to start strengthening as we get in the fourth quarter of this year and we start to see a decrease of supplies. But for now, we still have this big, inc this big abundance of supplies. Some of that's due to cow liquidation, the cow herd liquidation. Some of it's increased heifer. Once we get to the fourth quarter, though, we anticipate that's really going to slow down. Plus, we'll see the smaller numbers from the liquidation of the breeding herd we've been doing over the last year and a half. And the market's trying to price that uh, discrepancy in. All right. Might see a little bit of some bullwhip action as that liquidation meets together at the fourth quarter and maybe find some strong demand. Arlen, that's the hope here, right? As we look out to the rest of this year, keep that demand strong from the U.S. consumer. Yeah, and that's the concern right now is the consumer buying with the economy struggling, being able to get that and find a price that'll move it. That is the key. Our thanks to Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex. Arlen, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. 
And folks, stick with us. We'll talk about the economics in the Pulse space when we return. Dean Nelson of Kelly Bean will be joining us to end up the AOA for the day. Stay with us for more of the show. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. One of the higher risk aspects of farming is crop protection application. With label changes, regulations, equipment maintenance, and drift management, it's a lot of risk. And a great way to manage it is to rely on your local FS and FS crop applicators. They constantly train to keep up with the latest label changes, regulations, and best practices. So your crop is protected and risks reduced. Contact your local FS to learn more about our custom application programs. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know. Because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch. And we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Senex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils. Oil that runs smart. 
Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. You know, we have been talking about the planting issues that have impacted nearly every crop out there across the countryside one way or another. Of course, some folks have been way too dry as we look west and south, and some folks went from way too dry to way too wet as we look up at the Dakotas, and then, of course, they're just wet over in the eastern Corn Belt. Well, one of those growers, one group of growers that has been impacted by this are pulse crop growers. We need an update on what's happening in the dry bean space. And here to give us that is Dean Nelson, one of the grower contacts with Kelly Bean based out of Hatton, North Dakota. Dean, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Hey, well, fill us in. You talk to Pulse growers all around the country. Dean, what are you hearing? How has planting gone so far for the folks you work with? Well, it's been fairly non-existent here in North Dakota and uh, western Minnesota. It's just been wet, and they're still trying to plant corn and wheat and a few soybeans going in, but uh, it's been a struggle for uh, for a lot of the farmers. Dean, timing-wise, given the fact that those growers aren't in the field quite yet and it doesn't look like that's going to be coming soon, what's the deadline you're looking at for getting dry beans in the ground in that part of the country? Well, our, our generally we see from uh, around the 15th of May to the 5th of June. Um, the in crop insurance deadline, drop dead date, is the 10th of June. So we can plant up till the 10th of June. And just two years ago in 2020, our whole dry bean crop here in the Red River Valley got planted from June 3rd to June 8th. And uh, we had a bumper crop that year. So if the conditions are right, we're, we're still still okay for the planting date. Well, that's good to hear. The, the horse isn't out of the barn quite yet. So got another two weeks or so before that happens. Dean, what are you hearing from the rest of your folks there at Kelly across the country? Are they running into similar planting issues? Uh, you know, generally we're seeing uh, the crop pretty much going in Good. Uh, Michigan's been a little bit wet, but they're uh, making progress. Our Nebraska-Colorado facilities are just kind of getting going, which is pretty much normal planting time for them. Uh, they've had a little bit of moisture for them, so that's good. Uh, their soil conditions are pretty good, so it looks like they're going to have a pretty good week here this next uh, four to five days of planting. All right, getting out there, getting those beans in the ground. Dean, I'm curious, the last time we talked here earlier this winter, you'd mentioned that COVID had been very good for dry beans. A lot of folks had gone out there and purchased. We'd seen consumer acceptance of dry beans continuing to grow. As you look at the market here heading into planting season, how are prices holding up? Well, prices are still uh, very strong. Uh it it's just a factor of mostly because of the drought from last year we just didn't have a huge crop so we're kind of working on the tail end of last year's crop and our supplies are a little limited and also we're we're a little frightful of selling new crop because we don't even have it in the ground yet so we're just very concerned about forward contracting anything yet but but the the current crops prices are staying uh, relatively strong dean do growers in the dry bean space hold off on marketing in a year like this on the idea that prices could rise farther for these contracts if these acres don't get in the ground 
Uh, generally, you know, we're doing a lot of forward contracting from December to generally the middle of February. Um, we do contracts with the grower, but we do have an act of God in that contract. So if they do have issues with uh, getting stuff planted, um, they are not held accountable on those. So it, it's a fairly easy contract for them to sign. Gotcha. So if this drought should make a return or or something like that, they're still covered. Um, Dean, I am curious, though, you mentioned supplies are tight. We've heard supply chain challenges being an issue for so many industries throughout COVID. Dry bean at Kelly, supply chain wise, are you guys able to get product to where it needs to go? You know, I said we're struggling uh, the rail, especially, um, you know, we're, we're having two to three weeks delayed getting boxcars. Uh, container shipments for exports are, you know, depending which country you're trying to ship to, we're, you know, anywhere from three weeks to three months behind getting containers, which then people are trying to get the product to the port, to load containers at the ports, which then in turn puts stress on trucks and everything else. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's an issue just like all the other commodities we're facing. From your perspective, Dean, is it getting better, the supply chain staying the same, or are we seeing things get worse? I, I would say um, in the last couple of weeks, we've actually seen it improve a little bit. Uh, not so much the rail, but the trucking and the container supply seems to be a little better, especially the last couple of weeks. Well, that is good news. Dean, thinking back to North Dakota, your home territory there, have you talked to any growers who are planning to put some dry green beans in the ground, but now with all the weather and the market prices, they're planting those acres elsewhere? Uh, we haven't seen that yet. Um, so our, our county, um, the corn planting date is actually today for the last planting. So we're thinking there is a possibility we actually may gain a few acres of dry beans if uh, they can't plant some of their other crops. So right now, everybody's still trying to roll and still trying to get all their crop they can in the ground. Dean, if we've got listeners out there who might be making that shift from another crop into dry beans, where can they go to learn more about Kelly Bean? Uh, we have a website, uh, kellybean.com, and uh, there it's got all the information you need on there. They certainly do, and they get you plugged in with assistance if you need help getting into this space. Dean is one of those folks. Dean Nelson with Kelly Bean, thank you so much for joining us today and for that update on the industry. Thank you, Mike. And folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Tune in tomorrow. We'll have another great show talking about all the issues that are impacting agriculture. Thanks for listening to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support. Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better, Better lives, lives together.